And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. It is an absolute honor to introduce our guest this week. It is Willie O'Ree, who is author of a book that I finished this week, fantastic book called Willie, The Game-Changing Story of the NHL's First Black Player. Mr. O'Ree, thank you so much for doing this. I am so excited to have you on, on the show today. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, where to start? This 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 book. I mean, it's a, a a lifetime of stories. But how did the um how did the idea come together? When, when did you first kind of get the inkling this was something you wanted to do? Well, uh, Michael McKinley, who um, who was the um, uh, the author, and um, he uh, we were involved in a um, um, a children's book, the autobiography of Willie O'Ree, small children's yeah. book. The ages uh, eight to twelve, eight to thirteen, and then uh, Michael asked me if I ever thought of giving um, a thought to another uh, adult book, you know, uh, which would uh, go in 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 detail uh, with your with your life and and your hockey career and um, everything else that had been going on, and I said, well, I yeah uh, yeah it'd be nice, so it uh, you know kind of went in one ear and out the other, and then. He finally got back to me and said, yeah, well, he said, um, let's do it. So then I got together with my uh, my agent, uh, Eustace uh, King, yeah. and said that Michael McKinley is uh, interested in doing this book. So we, we got it going. We started talking on the phone for hours and, you know, a lot of questions. And and uh, I'd sent him material. And I had to go way back and in, in my garage, and I had boxes there that I hadn't looked in in a number of years hmm. and uh, pulled out some stuff that they thought that they would uh, it'd be uh, useful for the book so that's how it all started and uh, you know I'm um, I'm very happy on on the outcome I think they uh, they did in, uh, Indigo did a did a fine job and um, it not only tells about my hockey career but it tells about um, my life after hockey. Yeah, and there's and there was um, what I really appreciated on top of that was there there was so much history that was part <laughs> of it too, right? Just woven into it that I thought was really really beautifully done, and I and I and I love that. And one of the first people I wanted to talk to you along those lines was a player that I, I I'm not I wasn't familiar with before I read this book in. And Herb Carnegie. Who is Herb Carnegie, and, and what did he mean to you as a player? Oh, Herb. Um, I had met Herb on um, several occasions. I never saw him play in in um, in person, but um, I read about I read about his career through the hockey news, and and uh, uh, I knew one of the uh, one of the players that played with Herb, uh, uh, Manny McIntyre, is from my hometown in Fredericton, 
Yeah. And uh, together with him and Ozzy, uh, combined that all-black line that played in, in Sherbrooke, uh, Quebec, and then, um, and then played under the leadership of Punch Amlek with, uh, with the Quebec Aces and, you know, played with John Belleville. Uh, Herb, um, it was just an all-around good hockey player. Should have yeah. been in the National Hockey League before me. He had all the skills and all the talent that, that a hockey player would need. And um, it's just unfortunate that that, uh, that just didn't happen at that time. But um, I hope still that uh, he has the opportunity to get into the, uh, into the Hall of Fame because um, um, he deserves it. Yeah, that absolutely, and and you know there, there was all these considerations, you know, that was I thought was fascinating. Like he gets this opportunity with the with the New York Rangers, but right. as you pointed out, like there was a good living to be made in in you know if you were willing to play this higher level minor league that right. when there's only you know six NHL teams, maybe it's not worth taking the risk or moving your family or doing all these other considerations. That's true. Yeah, and that was you know I I I mean all like all of those details I I found really fascinating. And one of the things that jumped out, Willie, to put us in the in kind of really into the moment was you being in California, um, in Los Angeles during you know, during the riots. And I'm in Detroit, and you know people here still talk about '68, oh, you know, yeah. the riots in '67, '68. The, the riots, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was I and, was playing there during that time. Yeah, what was that like to experience? And I would, and I'm just curious, as you know, very in the moment now with everything that's happening in the social justice causes in our country. What is it like to be experiencing this in the in this moment from your perspective? Well, I kind of, um, I you know, I knew what was going on and uh, the riots and the, uh, the you know the burning and the looting and everything. And I basically didn't really go down into the area, but I yeah I had read about it and you know I was playing at the time, but. But I, uh, I, uh, I just thought that uh, you know, unfortunately these these things happen and they're still happening today. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a it's a, it's a learning experience if you have to um, be in the area when one of those riots are going on, because it's uh, it, it is frightening, and uh, you know the so many uh, buildings were uh, were looted and and, uh, and burned and. Um, so many people lost their um, lost their businesses and their homes, but um, um, I um, I had to, I had the opportunity to be there. And uh, you know. yeah, it's you know what what's really stood out to me is is and you would have this perspective. We've seen it now where it's it's become a national conversation, but and then it also becomes a conversation in the sport of hockey, right? Like this was. This was at the forefront, especially during the during the playoffs. Did were there similar conversations like that in, in that time period in hockey and, and having it be more representative and, and that sort of thing, or did it not carry over this to the same degree? No, it didn't really carry over, mm. um, and I'm glad it didn't. I mean, you know that yeah. it was it was something that happened, and um, it was it it was a tragic uh, period, um, but I. Um, I just kind of stuck to playing, <laughs> stuck to playing yeah. hockey, and and tried to, to you know try to represent the hockey club you know to the best of my ability. How about being a part of the the California hockey scene at the outset? Right, you play in L.A., you play in San Diego, and and you know this this is right around the time of expansion. Yes. How was it to be to be part of kind of that? I mean, you were a pioneer on so many levels, but also in, in that moment in in the expansion West. Yeah, well, you know. Um, <clears throat> 
when I came to San Diego in, in 1967, that was the first expansion of the, uh, of the NHL. They expanded six teams. And yeah. The team that was here in San Diego, uh, I had a good year my, my last year. And um, I, uh, I was hoping that possibly I would be contacted to um, come and try out, but nobody contacted me. And yeah. um, you know, I didn't take it upon myself to go down and say, hey, I'd like to try out for this team. Um, they know or they knew that I was in San Diego, the team. Uh, they know uh, my, um, uh, my hockey career and uh, um, how I played, and the goals that I scored and so on and so forth. But yeah. um, I watched them play and uh, um, I... Um, I was very supportive of the team. I went, you know, went to the games, and, but um, I was I was hoping that I would I would get the opportunities to to just go and try out and um, to see if I was uh, still good enough to make the team. But it didn't happen. But um, you know, after I had retired in 1980, yeah, I relatively wanted to stay in hockey in some capacity because I felt that I had something to give back to the game what hockey had given me over the uh, 21 years that I played. And uh, I had been involved with uh, youth development programs um, in my hometown uh, mm -hmm. before I even left uh, to go play junior up in Quebec. So I, uh, I said to myself, Willie, you're going to get back into the NHL in some capacity. Yeah. That was the goal that I set for myself. And uh, I had worked at, I had several jobs. I, I sold car, cars at the John Hine Pontiac, a local um, dealership in, in San Diego. I worked construction. I got into the private security business and worked there for 15 years. But my goal was, Willie, well, you're going to get in back. You're going to get back into hockey. And then uh, I was working over at the Hotel Del Coronado, a um, historical um, hotel over in Coronado Island, a very, very nice hotel. And uh, I was working there in the security department, and I'd been there um, just closing out of my fifth year. And um, Brian McBride, who was a newly appointed vice president of the NHL's diversity program at that time, was in a meeting in New York with Lou Vero from USA Hockey and four or five other businessmen. And they were talking about how the NHL and USA Hockey could get together and combine and uh, make it possible for more boys and girls to get into playing hockey. And uh, Jackie Robinson's name come up, and they said, yeah, Robinson, you know, broke the color barrier back in 1947 and opened the doors for black players and players of color to play baseball. Well, just at that time, Lou Vero, uh, out of the blue, says, well, we have, we have our own Jackie Robinson in hockey. And uh, the room went silent, and everybody looked around, and uh, they said, well, who is it? And Lou Vero said, well, Willie O'Ree, he says, uh, I was living in New York and uh, he came up with the Boston Bruins and I watched them play in the old Madison Square Gardens and uh, uh, a hell of a hockey player scored a goal against uh, the Rangers. And, uh, the, you know, those, those um, team was the Rangers. So Brian McBride just happened to say, well, is he, is he still alive? Is he, is he still around? And Lou said, yeah, I think I was playing out there in California with that, uh, the San Diego Gulls in the Western League. So Brian says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a, a point to try and get in touch with him. 
So he called and uh, he, couldn't, uh, he couldn't get my number, but he knew a couple of FBI agents in the San Diego area. And he called them and he says, uh, he says uh, I'd like to get some help. He says, I know uh, uh, Mr. O'Ree is in San Diego and uh, I'd like to see if I could uh, get a hold of him. So within uh, a few hours, the gentleman uh, called back and said, yeah, he's, uh, he's working over at the Hotel Dell in the security department. So Brian called me and uh, said, Willie, he says, I'm Brian McBride. And I says, uh, yeah. And I was a little hesitant. And he says, yeah, he says, I'm, I'm with the NHL's diversity program. And I'd like to know if you'd like to get involved. Uh, we have a program here with kids. And so he kind of laid the program out. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I believe that's something that I'd like to be involved with. Hmm. So one thing led to another, and um, I went back to New York, and uh, he laid the program out, and I said, uh, yeah, I said, this is that. Now, this was 1996, and I says, I was still working at the, at the Dell, and he says, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to have a, uh, a hockey, uh, a weekend of kids honoring your breaking the color barrier in 1958. We'll bring these kids into Boston, and uh, they'll have a weekend of hockey. And so I, I got the time off and came, came to Boston and uh, was introduced to all the boys and girls and talked about um, my, my life in hockey. And, and um, it was great. And then um, about a couple of weeks later, he said, uh, Willie said, I'd like to, to um, go to Bellingham. There's a program up there and they, they would love you to come up and um, give a presentation. And I said, well, gosh, you know, I'm still working. But uh, I told my boss, and he said, yeah, well, he, um, we'll get somebody to cover for you, so I go, so I go up. And then Brian had two or three other um, functions that he wanted me to take care of. And I said, gee, Brian, I said, this. No, and he says, well, how tight are you in uh, with, the, with the, the Hotel Dell? I says, well, I'd need to give him two weeks' notice, if, you know, if I was going to leave. He says, yes. He says, I'd, I'd like you to come aboard. So I gave my two weeks' notice. Now I'm going to... Uh, Going to Boston and um, and um, starting this starting this program. We only had five programs at the start when I, when I came aboard. We have about between thirty two and thirty six now. Yeah. And um, wow. I um, I was I was jumping for joy when I found out the type of work they they wanted me to go to visit schools, uh, boys and girls clubs, juvenile detention facilities, YMYD, WCAs, and talk to the boys and girls about, you know, getting into hockey. And uh, once that started, I mean, honest, it, it just kind of mushroomed and uh, kids started coming out of the woodwork. Uh, we started um, conducting clinics and having these kids come and get on the ice and we'd teach kids how to skate. And, and then we'd bring them up in just the basic fundamentals of the game and get them playing. And um, it was just, it was it was great. It was the thing that I really wanted wanted to do, and I I put my heart and soul into it. That's amazing on so many levels. It's amazing that that you they had to find you. They had to <laughs> get the FBI. That, like that to me still blows my mind. Really. Yeah, I'll tell you when the FBI wants to find you, they'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around that. In you know, in the beauty the beauty of it is, and you mentioned the growth of the program. I was in, in Flint, Michigan in, oh, yes. I want to say, January or February. And yeah. here's Rico Phillips has Rico. a trophy. Who's, Rico's yes. the best. 
Yeah. And he's got your trophy with your hat on it. And he says, he's like, I carry this. This is like a key to get into any room I need to. I just pull out this trophy with Willie, Willie O'Ree's hat. And I can reach kids. And, and like, that's the impact you're having. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a beautiful human being. I was only there in Flint in the, in the one time. And I, I, got, I got such a, a wonderful uh, response and a gracious invitation to not only the kids, but to the parents and uh, I watched a hockey game and I signed autographs and then gave, you know, autograph pictures away. And, and I've talked to uh, Rico, you know, four or five times on the phone. His program is doing well. And then that's just one incident of, of making one trip, yeah. uh, you know, to a city. And uh, then all of a sudden things just started happening. And I'm, uh, I'm very happy for him. And he's moved on, um, on to other things. Re- yeah. re- uh, relating to kids so you know life is good one of the stories he shared he he said because he's 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 helping introduce hockey to these kids and and what he was worried is he wasn't preparing them for what they might hear on the ice well enough like he would hear from parents right and he would say hey we had to deal with this because it is still you know it's a predominantly white sport and he's like and so he's like i he said he called you he's like what do i tell these parents and and um you know, what, what advice do you give to parents in that situation? I just tell them, you know, that uh, uh, these boys and girls, uh, you can't change the color of your skin and you wouldn't want to. Uh, if people can't accept them for the individuals that they are, uh, then that's their problem. And I just tell them they're going to hear the racial, you know, the racial slurs and the racial comments. Um, but just let it go. I know it's it's tough and it's a lot tougher now than it was for me. But just let it win one ear and out the other and just go out and play your, play your game and score goals and, and uh, work hard. Um, you know, there's no substitute for hard work. You only get out of the thing what you put into it. But um, the, the parents just, they're crying when they see the, their son or daughter coming off the ice crying because they, they've heard a racial slur, a racial remark. It, it, um, um, I, I think now, you know, with the, with the NHL, rules and the players that are playing the not only the black players but the players of color that are playing in the in the uh, nhl now any racial remarks or racial slurs um that are said and um these people are are ejected from the from the arena and it should be they uh, you know it's it's these boys and girls and these players in the nhl they're there because not only because of their color, they're there because they have the skills and the ability to play there. They've proven themselves yes. that they're good enough to play in the league. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love what Rico said. You also, at the end of the conversation, you said, you know what? The best <laughs> thing we can do is fill the rinks, right? That's right. Like, let's, let's diversify it by filling the rinks. Exactly. And, and so then it's not a, you know, it's not a thing. And in your book, you wrote, you know, and it's still, it's still, not there, right? And you wrote, no. you know, black NHLers are never just hockey players. No. And that's something that, you know, I think the, the, the league is still struggling with now on some that's level. That's true, yeah. That's the old saying, you, can, you can't see beyond the forest for trees. Mm. You know, you can't look beyond that. But it's, um, you know, I've, I've had racial remarks directed towards me, and I mm. haven't played in the league since 1961. You know, I've been in a, been in a, uh, at a gas station filling up my, uh, you know, my vehicle or, or in a department store or, or just out, you know, socializing. And I've heard it and uh, from people that 
I've never met before. They may know of me, but I, I don't know of them. But um, I just look at them and, and uh, just say, you know, we, uh, we've still got, a, we've still got a, a long ways to go. But yeah. um, we're working in the right direction. Um, you and I actually met years ago, and obviously you'll never remember this because, I mean, who, who am I? But you, we met in Atlanta, Georgia during the All-Star Weekend. During the All-Star? We went, okay. Yeah, it was, um, and um, Gary Bettman, and I, we went, you and I and Gary went to um, this place called Ron Clark Academy. It was this inner city school. And oh, to yes. watch to watch them, um, you know, it was just fun for me. I was a fly on the wall watching them interact with you, and there was a lot of, you know, stuff that goes around a All-Star weekend. Right. But I, I was reminded of that when I was reading your book because, you know, I, to me, I, you know, I'm I'm a Michigan native. I happened to be living in Atlanta at the time, but I didn't, right. you know, I don't think about Georgia in the past, you know, from in that context. Right. And I'm reading up about, you know, your your you going down there to try out for the Milwaukee Braves. What was that experience like? And, I mean, completely different experience. Well, first of all, you know, I, I was playing in my, I was playing for the Marysville Royals. Uh, and I was having a pretty good year, you know. Um, I was uh, a 300 hitter. Yeah. And when the two scouts came and said, uh, you know, Mr. E, we're represented by the Milwaukee Braves minor league operations, and we'd like to invite you down to training camp in Waycross, Georgia. And soon they said, Waycross, Georgia. I said, no, I says, I, I appreciate the offer, but um, I would just rather stay and play baseball here because I still had, I still had hockey on my mind, you know, yeah. in the back of it. You know, I was still in hockey and I played baseball to keep myself in shape and I was making a few bucks. So they said, well, you're just giving up an, 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 a fantastic opportunity. There's not too, too many black players that, that we have come across um with your talent and we'd sure like you to come so i talked to my parents and they said oh gosh no because they knew the way blacks were treated in the south you know and they says oh no we they they were they would uh, just say to me oh gosh no uh, you uh, you'd probably get hurt so then i talked to my older brother who was my not only my brother and my friend but he was my mentor taught me so many things that I would need to know, my brother Richard. And he says, well, how do you feel inside? How do you feel deep inside? And I said, gosh, I'd like to go down for the experience. He says, well, then go. So I jump on a plane. I land in Atlanta, Georgia, stepped off the plane, walked into the terminal. And the first thing I saw was restrooms, white only and colored only. So I went into the colored restroom and I come out and I had to stay in in Atlanta overnight. So I went out and contacted a black cab driver and uh, explained my situation. I've got, I've got to stay in Atlanta overnight. Could you recommend a hotel where I could stay? Because I'm going to get on a bus the next morning going to Waycross. So he took me to an all-black neighborhood, nice little hotel, stayed there. Next day on the bus, I arrived in uh, Waycross, Georgia, got off the bus, was assigned a dorm with uh, about eight or nine other baseball players but they were uh, black or players of color the next day issued uniform and i was a shortstop second baseman so we, we started we started working out and i could hear some of the racial remarks from some of the white players but it didn't bother me you, you know back and forth we practice and i was there the first week and um, going into going into the going into the second week and um, outside of the dorm 
they would have a list. And if your name appeared on that list, that means you were going to be sent back home. So it was just, I think it was the, just the end of the week. We had played an exhibition game. It was just the end of the week. Uh, and my name appears on the list. So I go in and uh, they said, Willie, um, we, we were impressed with your play, but we think you need a little more seasoning. And so we're going to send you back home. So I gave the impression that, oh gosh, I wish I could stay longer, you know, but <laughs> deep down inside, I was jumping for joy. Yeah. So I get on the bus and I was five days on the bus. And back then, you know, blacks had to sit on the back of the bus. So I sat on the back of the bus. And as the bus was rambling up through the, the northern states and we're getting closer up north, I started moving up in the bus. And I was at, at the center of the bus. And by the time I got to Bangor, Maine, uh, I was sitting in the front of the bus. In about another four hours, I would arrive in Fredericton. I get off the bus when I arrived in Fredericton. I stepped off the bus and I said, Willie, forget about baseball. Concentrate on hockey. And then that's when Punch um, Emlak contacted me and invited me to the Quebec Aces training camp up in Quebec in, in 1956. And uh, I went up and uh, made the team. And um, from then on, it was started with uh, going to the Bruins training camp the next two years in, in uh, 57 and 58. And then I was recalled all up for two games in 1958. But uh, I think if I, if I had been offered a baseball contract, I'd have turned it down. I, I really would have deep in my heart said, no, Willie, this isn't for you. And uh, again, too, uh, my goal was to uh, hopefully play professional hockey and uh, one day possibly get into the, uh, get into the NHL. What was that five-day bus ride back? What was, what was that like? I actually, the only time I got off the bus was uh, to go to run into a restaurant, you know, or grab a sandwich or grab a drink and stay on stay in the bus because the you know the I had a couple incidents in Waycross, uh, and I felt that if I just stay on the bus, uh, you know, uh, probably I won't uh, I won't get into any problems or get into any trouble, but it was, uh, it was a long bus ride. And uh, I just kept thinking my fingers crossed that I would arrive in Fredericton safely. Not knowing what to expect with, you know, every turn of your experiences as, as I was reading this, I was really encouraged by, by the Boston Bruins and the treatment you got, right? Because, oh, yeah. you know, I, I was imagining the worst, I guess. Of, oh, my back own, then? You know, yeah. right. What was it like to get that call up and, and that? And to be kind of embraced by that group as you well, made that when debut. I, you know, when I went to their, their training camp in, in 1957, uh, the other black player that I played with, Stan Maxwell, both of us went to training camp, had a good training camp. And then we came back to Quebec um, and uh, played with the Quebec Aces and finished the season. And the next year in 1958, went to the Bruins training camp again and had a nice, uh, had a nice camp. Uh, the, uh, to be honest with you, the Bruin organization is, is it's a wonderful organization, right, right from the top and um, Lynn Patrick, the GM and, and Milt, the coach and, you know, all the players that I had the pleasure of playing with. So when I came back to Quebec and uh, then on January the 18th, uh, the Bruins contacted the Aces and says, we want to re to meet the Bruins in Montreal to play two games. So I take the uh, take the train. I go in to get into Montreal um, before the before the game. Mill Schmidt, a coach, and and um, 
Lynn Panter, the general manager, sat, sat me down and said, Willie, we, we brought you up because we think that you can add a little something to the team. Uh, don't worry about anything else. You're, you're a Bruin, and uh, the Bruin organization is behind you 100%. Well, I was no stranger to the Montreal fans because I had played in the Montreal Forum against the Montreal Junior Canadiens, the Montreal Royals, but this was a regular scheduled NHL game. And I had the butterflies. So I go out and then the first, you know, the first shift and then I settled down and um, I played, I played, a, I played a reasonably good game. I didn't get any goals, no, no penalties, uh, uh, no assists, but we, we were fortunate to be Canadians, three nothing. We shut them out right on Saturday night, right in Montreal. And that was a, a big feat in itself. So after the game, um, my parents had come up from Fredericton, uh, some of my um, Close friends came up and said, oh, gosh, Willie, what a game, so on and so forth. And I didn't realize till the next day that I had, you know, I had broken, uh, broken the, the color barrier and opened the doors up for not only black players and players of color. I didn't realize it till I read it in the paper. So we get on the we get on the train. Both teams, the Canadians had their car, the Bruins had their car. We go into Boston. Uh, we play there Sunday night and um, Canadians beat us, I believe, five to three. And uh, uh, I go, I go back to, I go back to Quebec, and I was keeping my fingers crossed that I would, I get another opportunity to be brought up. But I played, and then um, I got the call back in 1960 and '61, and uh, went up and uh, I played a total of 45 games with the Bruins, uh, and I uh, scored 10 goals and uh, four assists. And I look at the numbers you put up. I, you know, in San Diego, in playing, and I'm just thinking, boy, if that league had been just a little bit bigger, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if it was what it was now, you would have been a 30, 40 goal scorer. Yeah, yeah. I, I still figured when I had retired, I was, I was 40, 44, and I still, when I, I sat up there in the stands and I was watching the the, um, the San Diego team practice, yeah, and I can honestly say that I could. Uh, I could have played better than some of those players that they that they kept. I, I really, yeah. I really could, even with the one eye. Uh, I, I, so I was dumbfounded when I was watching some of these guys. But it was a new league. They needed players, you know, and uh, they they filled them up. But um, I never. Re- the only regret I had is, is I wish I had played uh, in the in the NHL a little longer. But um, I didn't know it was the fact that they found out about my. My uh, my uh, my eye injury, uh, but I I was I was very happy with uh, with my with my output, and uh, the Bruin organization has has been great. It's it's uh, I'm a Bruin fan, and uh, I I always say that uh, uh, they have a wonderful organization. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm going to jump around a little bit here because there's a, few, a couple other topics I want to hit on. But I, sure, I couldn't. I don't know how I missed this. You met Jackie Robinson not once but twice. Like, how, like, twice. how does like the universe align? Like that. Do you mind sharing that story? Like, I love oh, that. God. I love to oh, see that. I was 14, 
and I was playing baseball in my in my hometown. And uh, again, I, I played shortstop and second base. And we won the we won the league. And the reward was that our team was going to be taken to New York to see the Empire State Building and Radio Music City Hall and, and all the um, attractions. And um, we saw Jackie play at Ebbets Field, Brooklyn. And um, after the game, I went down and was introduced to him at the dugout. I shook hands with him. And I told Mr. Robinson, I said, Mr. Robinson, I not only play baseball, but I, I play hockey. And he says, oh, I didn't realize that there were any black kids playing hockey. And I said, yeah, there are a few, Mr. Robinson. So, I, you know, uh, again, uh, he said, well, whatever sport you, you choose, he said, you know, work as hard as you can. He says, there's, you know, there's no substitute for hard work. And that kind of stuck with me. So we go, we go back to, we go back to Fredericton. Uh, that was in 1949. In 1961, um, I was, I was put, I was traded to the Los Angeles Blades. I was playing in Hull Auto with, with the Hull of the Canadians. Uh, Sammy Pollock uh, was the general manager and he traded me uh, with the two other players and uh, some cash. So here I am out in, uh, in Los Angeles, joining the, uh, the uh, Los Angeles Blades. And uh, I was having a good season. Uh, in 1962, uh, the NAACP in Los Angeles had a luncheon for Mr. Robinson. I received a, uh, an invitation through the hockey club. So I go to the luncheon and um, I was there with myself, two other players and the coach. And when I arrived there, Mr. Robinson was standing over in the corner talking to some media people. Well, when he finished, the coach came over and said, Mr. Robinson, he said, I'd like to introduce you to three local players here, especially uh, Willie O'Ree, who was newly acquired from a, a team back east. And Mr. Robinson turned and he looked me in the eye, you know, and he, he pointed and he said, Willie O'Ree, he says, aren't you the young fellow I, I met in Brooklyn? Now, this was 1949, and he remembers me, meeting me in 1962 with all the millions of people that he had mentioned and met. Mm -hmm. I guess he had, I guess it maybe stuck with him because I told him I not only played baseball, but I played hockey. And then he, he commented, he says, well, it looks like you, you, um, you, you picked the, the sport that you, um, you talked about. And I said, yes, Mr. Robinson. And we talked for another four or five minutes, but he made a big impact uh, on me and, uh, and through, through, you know, through my life and, and still does when I remember, mm. you know, having the opportunity to meet him uh, two times. Hmm, that's amazing. And that he remembered you is, yes. is mind blowing. Yes. After all those years. Um, so when you, when you hear people refer to you as the Jackie Robinson of <laughs> hockey, I know you've, you've looked at that as a compliment, like very much, you know, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm very I'm very uh, I'm very happy and uh, to be in the same category as Mr. Uh, Mr. Robinson when they call me and it was the media that gave me the name the Jackie Robinson I didn't say I was the Jackie Robinson but when right, I right. was recalled back up they says oh well, there's Willie O'Ree he's the Jackie Robinson of hockey mm. and it stuck with me over the years and uh, I'm 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 very thrilled to, you know to to be when they mentioned Jackie Robinson and mentioned my name. Um, media not <laughs> didn't look great when I was there was you know you you share the story about how 
basically the the media blaming black players for not arriving sooner rather than the league i was yeah you know to yeah. me i just it was so shameful to see that yeah well herb carnaby should have been there he really yeah. he, should, he really should have when he went he went to the you know the the leafs training camp he went to the rangers training camp he was just overlooked you know he yeah. was overlooked because of his color you know uh, herb carnaby should have been in the in the national hockey league and uh it's a shame because uh, he had proven himself. He was the best. He was the best player at, at training camp, you know. And how do you turn down being one of the best players? Right. Um, you mentioned the impact your your brother Richard had on on your career, oh, and I, I did want to get into your your family a little <laughs> bit. What what else to him like do you still carry to this day? Uh, he was not only my brother and my friend, but he was my mentor, mm-hmm. and he taught me a lot of things that I would need to know. Um, he knew the type of hockey player I was. He knew the goal that I had set for myself of, you know, playing pro and hopefully playing in the National Hockey League. And I had the pleasure of, uh, of playing with my brother. He was, he was about 12 or 14 years older than me. And uh, I would play, uh, uh, I'd play with him. And, uh, you know, I, I was like 14 and I was playing with guys, you know, 18, 19. And, uh, but I held my own. And, um, uh, Sometimes I would practice, um, you know, against him, and sometimes he'd, you know, take me into the boards, uh, clean check, you know, take me yeah. in hard, and and I'd, uh, the tears would come to my eyes, and I'd say, brother, I said, why you, why you hit me so hard? He says, well, he says I'm only preparing you for, if you decide that you want to play pro hockey, you're going to get hit a lot harder than this, and he mm-hmm. was right, he was right. I'm I'm glad that the the the, uh, the checks that he gave me because then I. I had to know about taking checks and making, you know, different moves to avoid, avoid checks. And uh, I still give him, you know, a lot of credit for the 21 years that I was able to play. Yeah. I mean, you, we talk about, you know, the impact you've made and, and you really, it, it was really fascinating for you to kind of trace back the impact. I mean, we all have people in our kind of family tree that, Changed the course mm. of generations, and in your case, it was Paris O'Ri. Do you mind sharing, yeah. kind of discovering his story and what, what that process was like for you? Well, you know, I didn't know too much about my my ancestors, mm-hmm. and uh, when I um, when I got involved with the documentary with Brian McBride and uh, uh, Lawrence Maybe, yeah. the uh, young lady that was doing the filming. Um, she had uh, researched a lot of my information about a lot of my my ancestors and where they came from and where they where they lived and uh, she told me about them and uh, I couldn't believe it so we went down to South Carolina and went into the uh, the archives there and they brought out the books and uh, they turned to the pages where uh, where Paris was and with his, his his family and how how he got there and the the property that uh, that that he owned um, and then um, how he was uh, you know be, uh, you know became the slave and then and then uh, uh, was let go and um, migrated up to uh, up to um, Canada but uh, I was I was overwhelmed when I when I read it and uh, to uh, to think that. Uh, he sacrificed. Uh, he sacrificed a lot, 
Yeah, but I believe he, he set goals uh, for himself and what he wanted to do and, and where he wanted to take his family and, and the things that he wanted to accomplish. But uh, it was an eye-opener, and uh, I've, uh, I've got the map that was, I had a copy of the map with the land um, where, where, where he lived. And, and uh, see, the name O'Ree, uh, it, it was H-O-R-R-Y when you say Ori, but then when he was, when there were, there was uh, the British, the British were, uh, were, uh, were there in uh, South Carolina. And when um, he came and they said, well, your name, he says, it's Ori. And the British uh, officer or whatever, when they pronounced it, he thought it was O-R-E. O-R-E-E, -E, and that's how the name was changed huh. from Hori to Ori. Mm. And, um, but it, uh, I was so happy that I had the opportunity to go down to uh, South Carolina and um, actually go through the, the, uh, the archives there and find out uh, a lot about my, uh, my ancestors. That's, you, by my mouth, you're his great-great-grandson, right? Like, we're not talking yeah. about, like, <laughs> you know, a thousand yeah. greats like this is great great grandson you are yeah yeah that's that's um yeah that's that's amazing and then and then <laughs> the last thing i want to get into in terms of family one of nine children which you know to me, me again is yeah, yeah yeah well i was the youngest of 13 oh 13 my mother, yeah, oh, I'm my sorry. Mom yeah, lost, yeah my mom lost two sets of twins oh right which, yeah she lost two sets of twins at, at childbirth and then uh, I, I'm the youngest uh, of, of the 13, and I have one uh, remaining brother, Lewis, mm. uh, living in Calgary, and Lewis would be 90, 96, I'm wow. going on 97. Yes. That's amazing. And you just turned 85. Happy birthday, by the way. Just turned 85 <laughs> uh, last Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> last Thursday, and uh, I've had, gosh, I've had so many... Uh, wonderful phone calls, uh, emails, texts, and my phone is just full, and I'm, I'm trying to take them in priority and, and yeah. thank everybody. And then um, um, the young lady that works for the NHL, uh, Melissa, mm -hmm. and um, Kwame Mason, who, uh, who made a film, and I, I'm in it. But anyway, they got together and contacted uh, a number of players and people uh, that that were in the NHL, that played in the NHL. There was about 14 of them, and they sent me a birthday. Sent me a birthday wish. They all they all said, "Yeah, congratulations, Willie, and thank you for your contribution." And blah blah, you know, so and so. And it was really heartwarming. I I had tears in my eyes when I was watching and hearing this from these these people. That I have that I have known and seen from time to time during my travels, you know, with the NHL, and it, it was just it was just wonderful. Um, it was one of the it was probably one of the, the best birthdays I've had after after hearing and and seeing these uh, these people. Um, I, I love that, and I love that you know this you know. The culmination of everything, kind of the rediscovery, all the work you put in, I was at the Hall of Fame inductions in eighteen, oh, right? God. And 
and to see that well, <laughs> yeah. first of all i do i gotta say the fact that it took till 2018 i'm not gonna get on my soapbox but that's ridiculous um, <laughs> for the record well a lot of people said that but then there was uh there was a couple of a couple of people in in fredericton you know, uh, they thought I was in the, uh, the the Hall of Fame. As they should have thought. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they said, what? Oh, gosh, no, we've got to do something. So uh, there was there was a couple, Brenda and David Sampson, and he, they, uh, they contacted uh, a sports writer uh, in, San, in San Diego and said, we've got to do something. Mm-hmm. We've got to get some petitions out. It says, we've got to, we've got to make this possible for Willie. To, to get into the uh, NHL, and so they uh, they made phone calls. They uh, they were fantastic. They they really did, and they, and they they got they got enough uh, uh, letters, um, and they submitted it to the um, the Hockey Hall of Fame, and uh, they made it happen. And and I thanked them in my in my speech um, when I gave my speech. I thanked them, and I. And I I thank the, the city of Fredericton and for those all those people that stepped up and, and gave their submission and, and made it possible for me to, you know, to get into the, the Hall of Fame. And, and I, I, I thank some other people, you know, I, at last I thank Commissioner Bettman for, for his, uh, his trust in me and uh, his leadership. Uh, so it was nice. Yeah. And I, I feel good, and a lot of people now they say, "Oh, you're 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 a Hall of Famer." Yeah. And every time I get mail, you know, it says, uh, you know, or a card to sign, it says, "Please, please put uh, Hall of Fame, uh, Mr. O'Reilly." So it's a nice feeling. Mm. Um, I we talked about your experience in Boston. I can you still hear that crowd, that ovation on your God, first yes. goal? Mm. My first goal. It was yeah. it was like it was like yesterday. You know, I was. Um, we were warming up, and uh, we were playing, playing against the Canadians, and we were warming up. And Bronco Horvath, one of my teammates, he says, Plant was hurt. Charlie Hodge was a backup goalie. And Bronco knew uh, Hodge. He, he knew where he was weak and where he was strong. So he says, Willie, if you ever get in on Hodge, keep the puck low. Keep it away mm-hmm. from his glove. He's got a good glove. So um, that registered with me. So the game starts, and um, the game's on. Um, we're up a goal, and then Canadians get a goal. So it was a third period, and uh, I'm playing left wing, and I break away from my check, and I, I put the afterburners on, and I'm just busting down left wing. And Leo Boyvin, one of my defensemen, just hits me with a perfect pass. I didn't have to break stride or anything. And I get the puck, and I go in, and I go around the both defensemen, and I'm in now I'm in on Hodge. And all of a sudden, I could hear this, low, low, Willie, keep it low. So I went and I made a couple of moves on him. And then I shot the puck, and it was either right along the ice or it was just off the ice, and it hit the inside of the post and went in. And that, mm. made it, uh, that made it 3-1. Three, three, that made it 3-1 for the Bruins. And then uh, about six or seven minutes later, Henri, the pocket rocket, scored and uh, made it 3-2. to two. And the, the goal that I that I scored, you know, became the winning goal. And I can still hear the, the fans in the, in the old Boston Garden. I got over a two-minute standing ovation for, from, the, from the fans, and I can, I can still hear it. And uh, what, a, uh, what a great feeling it was. Mm. 
it was interesting to see, like you, you'd mentioned, maybe in the moment you didn't realize you were the first black player in the NHL, but it, it did seem like the people around you, the, the, you know, the crowds, you said the New York Times was writing about it, like there seemed to be in the moment an appreciation for what was happening, at least on some level. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, as I said, when um, I read it in the paper the next day, and uh, I said, oh my God, I said, this is great. This is great. And a lot of the black players and players of color that I've had the pleasure of meeting, um, first was, you know, um, Jerome, again, back, I had, I got an invitation to attend his hockey school in Calgary. Yeah. And he said, yeah, Willie, I'd love you to come. The kids would have a great time. So I go and I introduce the kids and, uh, you know, I have um, a talk with them and I'm skating, I'm skating around and I, I wore CCM tax all my life. It was a skate that I wore. Yeah. So I'm skating around, and um, the the rep uh, uh, the the rep for there was uh, oh I forget his name, but he was he was there, and he represented the the, the, the new skate, the Easton yeah skate that's out yeah. And so he calls me over, says, "Hey Willie, can I see you for a minute?" So I go over to the boards, and he says. Uh, what are you doing with those uh, CCM skates on? <laughs> I said, well, CCM yeah, um, gave them to me, and uh, I've been using them, uh, you know, uh, in my uh, clinics with the kids, and I, I wore them when I was playing pro hockey. He says, well, have you ever have you ever tried on or had the pleasure of playing uh, with the Eastern? I said, oh, no. I said, those skates are too expensive. <laughs> so he says, how long are you going to be here? I said, I'm going to be here for probably another couple of hours with the kids, and then I'm going to be talking to the parents and some of the, the relatives after. He says, okay. So he leaves. And lo and, lo and behold, he comes back with two pair. Mm. And he gives me a pair, my size, and then he has a pair for Jerome. And he takes them into the, uh, he takes them into the, to the training room, Jerome does, and he puts them in this little, it's a little oven type thing, you know, for a few minutes. And I put them on, and I can honestly say I haven't taken them off. <laughs> Once I put them skates on, I wore them. I, w- I wear them from now on all the time. All the all the clinics that I do, I, I wear them. They are an unbelievable skate, you know. And they've 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 been progress so over the over the years. This was this was back when I this was back in. Let's see, I came in '96. This was probably back in '98, '99, and you know. Uh, but they're a great they're a great skate comfortable and uh i enjoyed i enjoyed wearing them looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, last thing. You you had a quote. It wasn't your quote in your book, but it was a quote you said you like, and I've been thinking about it ever since. And the quote is, each man is three men. That's right. Yeah. Who he thinks he is, who others think he is. And who we really are. And yeah, who we really and to look are. In, yeah, and to look inside and, and, and deep down and find out who the really Willie O'Ree is or mm-hmm. who the really, you know, Bill James is. And I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, when people look at me, they, they look at me and give me well, uh, an impression of me or somebody else will make yeah. another impression of me. But, um, yeah, I think that's a good quote. And uh, I, uh, I wanted to make sure that it, you know, that it, got, it got into the book. When do you think you really discovered who who you really are? If that makes sense. I, I don't think I've I don't think I've <laughs> discovered it yet. Yeah. I really, you know, there's there's just things I want to do. There's things I still want to accomplish. I I still set goals for myself, and you know, uh, I've been I've been uh, awarded with so many awards. You know, and it just keeps uh, um, one 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 thing after another. You know, um, you know, dating back to, I think '82, I carried the, I carried the Olympic, the Olympic cross back in uh, in '80, I think '80, uh, and and then um, the uh, Lester Patrick uh, was mm-hmm. sent back, and the Order of Canada, and uh, I've had um, a rink in my in in Fredericton named after me, the William Ree Place, uh, a rink in Boston, uh, it's a uh, uh, street hockey rink. Uh, when when the uh, when uh, the commissioner was there and the mayor Walsh was there and and then um, the documentary uh, that's come out uh, the uh, the coin the uh, Canadian mint uh, produced a twenty twenty dollar silver coin piece uh, in my honor and I have my likeness on the front and then the the queen is on the back. And and then um, and then the book now that that's out and um, I just um, you know I just I just keep thinking and uh, um, saying well you know um, the things that I've accomplished and uh, is is there anything else that I can that I can work at and and work work towards that can uh, maybe uh, be another uh, a limelight. Hmm. Well, congratulations on the book, and, and Mr. O'Ree, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and for doing oh, this. Oh, you're welcome. My, my pleasure. I, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thanks for thinking of me. I want to thank Willie O'Ree again for joining the podcast. That was that was so great. I love it's like having those conversations. I, you know, I just it, it's a it's a piece of history. It's it's incredible to have those stories and to hear about him meeting Jackie Robinson and to try out for the Milwaukee Braves and to you know hit the ice in Montreal for the first time and and I, I'm so happy that and thankful that he was willing to to take the time to to share those stories. So thank you again, Willie, for for doing that. 
Um, a couple things before we wrap up. Just a loaded pod schedule at The Athletic. Um, f- first and foremost, Laz and Scott Powers and their pod, Blackhawks podcast, are having Stan Bowman on. I would encourage you to check that out. Stan is always a great conversation, and there is plenty to talk about when it comes to the Chicago Blackhawks and where they are in the transition. And, you know, we, we saw Jonathan Taze's comments recently. isn't loving the direction, so I'm sure they're going to get into all of that. So check that out. Um, Ryan Clark, who we are excited to announce today, Ryan shared the news. He is going to be the Seattle Kraken's new beat writer. And he's joining the VanCast uh, with Jeff Patterson and Thomas Drance. So check that out, Ryan. We are thrilled for this opportunity for Ryan in Seattle. He is going to kill it. Um, Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle are breaking down the big Joe Thornton signing with the Leafs. And Eddie O, I'm sure, is going to talk about Doc Emmerich and his impact. Eddie O, always a great guest on two-man advantage with Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun. All right. If in it, you can get all of those podcasts ad-free for Athletic subscribers on the app. If you are not subscribing to The Athletic, make sure you get in at a great subscriber discount at theathletic.com slash full60 to get an all-access subscription. So to get the discount, it's athletic.com slash full60. That's it. So thanks again now to Willie O'Ree for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening, and have a great week.